Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible, and it's set right after the exodus of the Israelites from their slavery, when God brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai and invited Israel into a covenant relationship. Now, they had quickly rebelled and broke that covenant. And God had wanted for his glorious presence to come and live right in the midst of Israel in the form of this tabernacle. But Israel's sin has damaged the relationship. So at the end of the previous book, Exodus, Moses, as Israel's representative, could not even enter God's presence in the tent. The book of Leviticus opens by reminding us of this fundamental problem. It says, the Lord called to Moses from the tent. So the question is, how can Israel, in their sin and selfishness, be reconciled to this holy God? That's what this book is all about, how God is graciously providing a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in his holy presence. Now, let's pause for a second and explore this really important idea that God is holy. It's fundamental to understanding this book. The word holy means simply to be set apart or unique. And in the Bible, God is set apart from all other things because of his unique role as the creator of all, as the author of life itself. And so if God is holy, then the space around God is also holy. It's full of his goodness and his life and purity and justice. So if Israel, who is unjust and sinful, wants to live in God's holy presence, they too need to become holy. Their sin has to be dealt with. Thus, the book of Leviticus. Now, the book has a really amazing symmetrical design. It explores the three main ways that God helps Israel to live in his presence. The outer sections are descriptions of the rituals Israel was to practice in God's holy presence. The next inner sections focus on the role of Israel's priests as mediators between God and Israel. And inside of that are two matching sections that focus on Israel's purity. And then right here at the center of the book, there's a key ritual, the Day of Atonement, that brings the whole book together. The book concludes with a short section where Moses calls on Israel to be faithful to this covenant. Let's dive into the book. The first section explores the five main types of ritual sacrifices that Israel was to perform. Two of these were ways that an Israelite could say thank you to God by offering back to God these symbolic tokens of what God has first given them. Three other sacrifices were different ways of saying sorry to God. So here an Israelite would offer up the lifeblood of an animal while confessing that their sin has created more evil and death in God's good world. But instead of destroying this person, God, of course, wants to forgive them. And so this animal symbolically dies in their place and atones, which means it covers for their sin. And so through these rituals, the Israelites were constantly being reminded of God's grace, but also of his justice and of the seriousness of their evil and its consequences. The second set of rituals lays out the seven annual feasts of Israel. And each of these retold a different part of the story about how God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and brought them through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And by celebrating these feasts regularly, Israel would remember who they were and who God was to them. Now, the sections about Israel's priests, you have Aaron and his sons first ordained to enter into God's presence on behalf of Israel. And then in this matching section, we find the qualifications for being a priest. The priests were called to the highest level of moral integrity and ritual holiness because they represented the people before God, but then also represented God to the people. 
Now, we find out why the priest's holiness matters so much back here in this first section. Right after the family of Aaron was ordained, two of his sons waltz right into God's presence and flagrantly violate the rules. And so they are consumed by God's holiness on the spot. It's a haunting reminder of the paradox of living in God's holy presence because it's pure goodness, but it becomes dangerous to those who rebel and insult God's holiness. And so it's important that Israel's priests become holy and also that all of the people of Israel become holy, which is what the next intersections are all about. Chapters 11 through 15 are about the ritual purity required of all the Israelites, and chapters 18 through 20 are about the moral purity of the people. Here's what's underneath all of this purity and impurity language. Because God is holy and he's set apart, the Israelites need to be in a state of holiness themselves when they enter into his presence. This was called being clean or pure. God's presence was off limits to anybody who was not in a holy state, and this was called being unclean or impure. Now, an Israelite could become impure in just a few ways, by contact with reproductive body fluids, by having a skin disease, by touching mold or fungus, or by touching a dead body. Now, for the Israelites, all of these were associated with mortality, with the loss of life, which gets us to the core symbol of all these ideas. You become impure when you're contaminated by touching death so to speak. And death is the opposite of God's holiness because God's essence is life. Now, this is really key. Simply being impure was not sinful or wrong. Touching these kinds of things was a normal part of everyday life. And impurity was a temporary state. It just lasted a week or two, and then it's over. What was wrong or sinful was to waltz into God's presence carrying these symbols of death and impurity on my body. Don't do that. Now, the last way of becoming impure was by eating certain animals. And the kosher food laws are found right here in this section. Now, there have been lots of theories about why certain animals were considered impure and off-limits to promote hygiene or to avoid cultural taboos. The text just isn't explicit. But the basic point of all of these chapters is really clear. Altogether, these work as an elaborate set of cultural symbols that reminds Israel that God's holiness was to affect all areas of their lives. This corresponding section over here is about Israel's moral purity. The Israelites were called to live differently than the Canaanites. They were to care for the poor instead of overlooking them. They were to have a high level of sexual integrity, and they were to promote justice throughout their entire land. Now, here at the center of the book, we find a long description of one of Israel's annual feasts, the Day of Atonement. Odds are that not every Israelite's sin and rebellion would be covered through the individual sacrifices. And so once a year, the high priest would take two goats. One of these would become a purification offering and atone for the sins of the people. And the other was called the scapegoat. The priest would confess the sins of Israel and symbolically place them on this goat, and then it would be cast out into the wilderness. Again, this is a very powerful image of God's desire to remove sin and its consequences from his people so that God can live with them in peace. The book concludes with Moses calling Israel to be faithful to all of the terms of the covenant. And he describes the blessings of peace and abundance that will result if Israel obeys all of these laws. He also warns them that if they're unfaithful and dishonor God's holiness, it will result in disaster and ultimately 
exile from the land promised to Abraham. Now, if you want to see how Leviticus fits into the big storyline, it's helpful to look at the first sentence of the next book of the Bible, Numbers. It begins, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent. So we can see that Moses is now able to enter God's presence on behalf of Israel. The book of Leviticus, it worked. So despite Israel's failure, God has provided a way for their sin to be covered so that God can live with sinful people in peace. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about. Amen. And we'll say, I can't wait to read Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have everybody stand up? How's everybody doing today? Amen. Amen. Let's come and say amen. amen. Let's welcome all our campuses and everybody out there watching online. God bless y'all. God bless y'all. All the people in the military, God bless y'all. Uh, uh, if you are reading through the Bible, we started Leviticus today, Leviticus 1 and 2. And a lot of times that, that book is so confusing to people. So we hopefully that video uh, helped a little bit. Can it help a little bit? Amen. Good, good. I was watching, going, I don't know, maybe too long, whatever. So I'm glad it worked. Um, a couple of things before we start. Uh, Wednesday, um, I have been invited by a senator uh, to come to D.C. and he is organizing a meeting between senators from both sides of the aisle, Congress, members of Congress from both sides of the aisle, uh, to hear me talk about my book, The Third Option on Racial Unity. And so that's going to happen on Wednesday. Amen. If you, if you haven't gotten the book, you can get it on Amazon. It's called The Third Option. It's also in our bookstore here. Um, and so you can pray. We don't know who's going to come. Uh, obviously, we want to get the word out. These are the people who make decisions for our country. Um, and there's some very interesting um, appointments, divine appointments that God's setting up there for that. And so I appreciate your wisdom for me what to say and uh, that they would receive it and that it would affect the decisions they make that impact the whole nation. Amen. Uh, today's the last day of our fast, so I want to congratulate all you who went on the fast. Can I get an amen? Amen. I know some of y'all were like, in and out. <laughs> last night in bed, in and out. <laughs> hey, take your uh, lesson plan out. We are going to uh, recite our Do Something Disciple Prayer. If you are new, we are going through a, a series called The Pursuit. We're talking about the pursuit of the heart of the Father as a disciple of Christ. So we have a definition of a disciple and a prayer that we're going to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray this every day, simply asking for the heart of the Father. Not that you would just get the habits of being a Christian, but that God would actually change your heart. Uh, so you would do the things he wants you to do because you want to. And that he has given you the motivation and the passion to obey him. Can I get amen? So let's read that together. It's right on the front page. It says strange Christianity and right a third down it says a do something disciple prayer. We're going to read that together on the commas we pause, semicolons we pause. Amen. And if I mess up because I'm not a good reader, just keep going. Don't wait for me. One, two, three. As a do something disciple. A heart that is being perfected in love for God and people. Father. Give me a heart that desperately seeks face-to-face -face intimacy with you. Faithfully avoids that which displeases you. We're going to talk about that today. Humbly embraces a kingdom mindset. Values making disciples. Jesus created me a heart that values being guided by the word of God. Gratefully grows in generosity. Nurtures a burden for lost people. 
demonstrates a commitment to a spirit-filled expression of my gifts. Holy Spirit, develop a heart in me that gracefully gives and receives forgiveness, passionately worships God, is dependent on the power of prayer, serves with humility. Father, knit my heart with yours. Fill my heart with your passions, motivations, and desires. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand. Let me encourage you every day when you get up, there's a prayer you can pray every single day to guide you in seeking the heart of the Father. It doesn't take you but a minute to read, but I would challenge you to read it slow and let it, let it marinate in your heart. Can I get an amen? Let's do our memory verse, Genesis 1:26. It should be on the screen on the count of three. One, two, three. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1:26. Lord, we thank you for today. Holy Spirit, I pray you get into our business today. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to get into my business. Overcook my grits. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of y'all do not know what grits are? <laughs> say hi to someone next to you, give them a hug. Okay, on the count of three, say, lift your Bibles and say, word. <laughs> on the count of three, say, word. <laughs> uh, if you are not, if it's, what we do is we say, count of three, say, word, and I say, one, two, three. Then we lift our Bibles and say, word. The Rock Church cannot count. On the count of three, say word. One, two, three, say word. Lord, have mercy. Turn to Leviticus chapter 10, the first, the third book of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 10. Uh, we are reading through the Bible. Say amen if you're reading through the Bible with us. Let me, let me tell you, read through the Bible. Come on now, we're doing it together. And this week we are starting Leviticus, we started chapter one today. And every time you come to church, we're going to teach from something you are going to read. Your small groups are going to have content from what we're going to read. Your D group is going to have information. Our discipleship groups are going to be from what we're going to, what we're going to read, what we're going to talk about on Sunday. It's all connected. So let me encourage you, uh, get in the discipleship group, uh, get in the D, uh, R group, um, and read through the Bible. Let's let God's word change our life. Amen. Le- Leviticus chapter 10. How many of you by a show of hands can identify at least one thing that you do, that you are fully aware breaks God's heart? Okay, raise your hand really high. Look around the room. If anybody's not raising a hand, go shut your mouth. (laughs) Think about it. There's things that we say, 
think, do, watch, listen to, repeat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we're fully aware God's going, why are you doing that? And we do it anyway. As we talk about what it means to pursue the heart of God, part of pursuing the heart of God is deliberately avoiding the things that break God's heart. It's one thing to say, I'm going to pray more faithfully or I'm going to learn how to pray. I'm going to be faithful in going to church. I'm going to be faithful in giving. I'm going to be faithful in serving. But it's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to stop doing this. Because often we think, well, if I do three good things, I could do one bad thing. And we just hold on to it. And we kind of say, well, my, in my mind, my good outweighs my bad, so I'm good. And God said, no, no, I called you to be holy, set aside, holy. We just saw an overview of the book of Leviticus. It's about holiness. Holiness or holy is, is, is 87 times used in that book. It's all about being holy. So today we're going to talk about how can we nurture a heart that faithfully avoids those things that God wants us to avoid. Now, uh, we, we, we've been studying the book of the, the, the Bible. How many books in the Bible? Say 66. Say Abraham. Say Isaac. Say Jacob. Say the three, say the three names. Say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob's name was changed to what? His name was changed to what? He had 12 sons. How many sons did he have? His third son was Levi. The sons of Levi were the people who took care of the tabernacle. And one family of the book of Levi were the priests. Thus the book of Leviticus is about the family of Levi, specifically a family in the Levites, the sons of Aaron, who was Moses' brother. Moses confronted Pharaoh with his brother Aaron. Moses and Aaron were Levites. They were the descendants of Levi. And so God told Moses, I want you to set aside your brother Aaron and his sons to be the priests. And they are going to serve in my tabernacle. And so I'm going to tell you all the guidelines on how to be holy. Now, let me back up. When you read the book of Leviticus, there's a lot of laws, a lot of can't eat this, can't do this, can't do that. Let me very briefly, high level, tell you how to understand that. In the Old Testament, there are a lot of rules and regulations. And what God was teaching them was, I want you to be holy. And in your context, with no plumbing, with no prisons, with no police, with no doctors, with no toilets, here's how you create order. Here's how you stay healthy. Here's how you remain clean. When you go to the bathroom, I want you to dig a hole in the ground. We don't need to dig a hole in the ground. We have toilets. It was a contextual thing. But the, so there was a letter of the law. Here's the things. Here's how I want you to do all these things. But the spirit of the law was order and health and purity. And so when you read the Old Testament, you're like, well, does this, this apply to now? The spirit of all of it applies. God is telling you, I want you to be holy. I want you to be clean. When you get to the New Testament, some of the things are explicitly repeated exactly word for word, like the Ten Commandments. Some of the stuff is not repeated, but the spirit of it is always repeated. So you always have to read it in the context of here's two million people living out in the wilderness, in the desert, with no plumbing, no police, no doctors. And God's saying, here's how you're going to uh, remain clean and healthy. And here's how you treat diseases. And by the way, here's certain foods I don't want you to eat, some of which is because the pain pagan gods, the pagans that you're around are eating those to sacrifice to other gods. I don't want you to be like them. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of details behind the scenes. But now we have the New Testament. What's the spirit of it? That's what we have to focus on. Y'all follow what I'm saying? I know it's very brief, but that's a high level. So when God told the, uh, Moses, I want you to tell your brother Aaron and his sons, the priests, here's how you worship me. 
So after they designed the tabernacle, he says, I want you to, you're going to have a, a, an altar in the tabernacle where there's going to be fire. And then you're going to have a tent. And in the tent, you're going to burn incense to me. Aaron, you burn incense to me. And the law is that when you burn incense, I want you to make the incense in a very specific way. And I want you to take the fire from the altar, only the fire from the altar, to burn the incense in front of my ark. That's the only way you can do it. And guess what happened? When we built the altar, guess who lit the fire? God lit it from heaven. You don't like the fire. This is my fire. I'm going to provide the fire. You and all you do, and by the way, in Leviticus chapter 9, it says that God lit the fire. And in Leviticus chapter 6, it says you make sure that fire never goes out. I'm going to light it. You keep putting wood on it. Never let it go out. But I'm going to light it. Later on, in a few weeks, we're going to look at Elijah. Actually, a few months, we're going to look at Elijah was having a service against some pagan gods. And he built an altar and he prayed and God lit it from heaven. You look at fire in the Bible, it's awesome. All throughout the Bible, God uses fire to, to represent his holiness, to represent purification. But in this case, he says, I'm going to light the fire and I only want you to use my fire in my tabernacle. That's the law. And if you don't, if you don't do that, something's going to happen. Don't pervert what I want you to do. I call that strange fire. And so what happened was Aaron's two sons who were priests, but they were not supposed to go and they, this was not their role. They took, the Bible says, strange fire. They made their own fire and they, and they, and they took incense and they went into where they weren't supposed to go and, and, and they believed that they might have been drunk because later in the chapter, after we read what's going to happen to them, it says, don't do this drunk. They went in and offered strange fire before God and God does something to them. Now, what's the point of this? The point of this is that God has a way he wants you to worship him. He has a way you, he wants you to give. He has a way he, he wants you to view people who don't believe in him. A way he wants you to love them. His way. When you change that up and do it your way, it's, I call it strange Christianity because in this case it's strange fire. And so what I want you to be thinking about is that thing that you do, that no one may know except you, that you know breaks God's heart. And what that does between how you can get away from that and say, Lord, I don't want to live and, and do things that offend you. If I'm pursuing your heart, I want to pursue your heart in everything. And so let's read this in chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, we're going to read three verses. It says, then Nadab and Abihu, everyone with me? Say amen if you're with me. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. Now, they were supposed to only take fire from the altar that God lit. <laughs> um, you don't want to make up your own fire. <laughs> it says, Nadab and Behu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered strange or profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. Everyone say, which he had not commanded. I wonder how many of you worship God in a way that he has not commanded. He wants you to shout to him. He wants you to do it in spirit and truth, not with an attitude. He wants you to read the Bible believing that it's true. He wants you to forgive like him, not like us. He wants to speak life, not gossip. He wants to give cheerfully, not grudgingly. 
Are you following what I'm saying? These guys said, I'm going to do this my way. Now you are at war with God. You're imposing to God, saying, God, I'm going to make up my own version of worshiping you. And when you realize, and by the way, whether it's worship, whether you're doing something in a spiritual context or the way you eat is not the way you know you should. How many of you have ever eaten so much you were, uh, the only room you have left is in your mouth? <laughs> I mean, your stomach's full, your, your throat is full, and, and it's chewed food, like you can almost see it right here. It's part, biled up. And you're like, uh, how many of you ever said, I, I ate too much? Raise your hand. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? There's, there's a point where your physical body is saying, stop. And your brain is going, but I like the taste. I'm a cruncher. I like to crunch. I just crunch. If I, I'm, I eat and I'm full. I just want to crunch, right? I got to stop. God can say, stop. Stop. Because if you violate how you use your body, if you violate how you use your, your brain, violate how you speak, it's going to come back to get you. See what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise the Lord, young fella. <laughs> Or a girl, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, it's a baby. <laughs> and it happened to be who the sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire. I want to say profane fire. Say strange fire. Uh, which the Lord had not commanded. Whatever you're doing that God has not commanded or is not biblically sound, we're going to call that strange. This is strange worship. Oh, spirit of the living God. We are your That's strange to God. This is strange prayer. Dear God, you are so awesome. <laughs> Verse 2. Therefore, are so fire. Everyone say fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died. These were the first two priests. Aaron was the first one. Then he anointed his sons, three of them, and these two went in. And they said, we're going to do things our way. And God said, I don't think so. Bye. Boop. <laughs> You're like, man, God is harsh. Mm. Remember, these people didn't know God. They didn't understand. They spent 430 years in Egypt looking at pagan gods. They didn't understand his holiness. They didn't understand his faithfulness. They didn't understand how he rolled. They didn't understand his power. Now they saw his miracles. They saw his, 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 the smoke and mountain on, on the mountain where Moses went up for 40 days a couple times. They saw the plagues. And then he says, now I'm going to tell you how to come into my presence. Holiness is about coming into my presence and staying in my presence. That's what the book of Leviticus is about. I'm going to tell you how, and here's how you do it. First, you're going to do what I say. You're not going to make up your own rules. And then these guys make up their own rules. He says, oh, I guess you didn't believe me. Bye. Everybody get the point? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm saying God's saying that to the Israelites. Y'all see them? They carried them out and we're like, oh, snap, I ain't going in there. God killed them. And look what it says. Verse 3. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. So Moses is the uncle. Aaron is his brother, the first priest. He anointed his sons. Two of his sons just got killed. Smoked, literally. And Aaron's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And Moses said, let me tell you what God said. That's what he said. Listen. 
Verse 3. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Everyone say holy. If you come into my presence, come into my presence with respect. Now, if God did this kind of stuff today, we would all be dead. Can I get amen? I mean, maybe some of you think, well, I wouldn't be dead because I'm, you know, okay, that's cool. I'd be dead. We'd all be dead. Repentance comes from God's mercy. But we still have to regard him as holy. So is there a way you come into God's presence or live in God's presence and don't regard him as holy? Whenever you're doing the thing that you raise your hand at the beginning that you know breaks God's heart, he's standing right there. You're never not in his presence. And so you're acting in a way that's inconsistent with his heart, right in his face. And you're saying, I don't regard you as holy right now because I'm going to do my thing. And one of the very simple ways is, Lord, how would you want me to do this? I want you, how do you want me to walk away from this thing that I'm doing that you don't prove of, that breaks your heart? He says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. If you're going to come in my presence, I want you to, and Aaron and Moses, I want you to tell everybody that watched, carry those two guys out. Everybody, I want you to watch it. Don't mess with me. Now, not in a bad way, but when I say this is what I want it to be done, this is the way I want it to be done. And if you follow me, man, all the power that I have is going to be available to you. And it says, and before all people, I must be glorified. And Aaron said nothing. Why? Because when, when Moses went up on the mountain the first time he got the Ten Commandments, he was up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Aaron, his brother, stayed down at the bottom of the mountain with the people. And they said, where's Moses? He's been up there too long. He must be dead. Let's build an idol. They built a golden calf. They took the earrings off and made a golden calf and said, that's the God that took up out of, out of Egypt. The God of heaven, he didn't do that. that. That calf that we just made is what delivered us. How insane that is. Aaron did that. Aaron. Now here's his sons. And Aaron's like, man, I'm glad God didn't do that to me when I did what I did before. What is it that you do? Now, am I threatening you that God's going to kill you? No. But here's what will happen. Just as they offered profane, strange fire, what you're doing will come back on you. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. Judge not that you not be judged. You lie, your lie is going to come back on you. You cheat God with your time, your time is going to come back on you. You cheat God with your money, it's going to come back on you. Some, it, there's always a, a consequence to what we do. It's either life or death. And one of the ways to pursue the heart of God is that we pursue the heart of God, we're inevitably walking away from something. But if you can identify the things that you say, listen, I should not be doing X, Y, or Z. If you could just say, Lord, help me not do that. Hold me accountable. The reason we have D groups, discipleship groups of three to five people is so you got people in your life say, can you hold me accountable to that? Can you ask me tomorrow, text me next day if I'm doing X, Y, and Z and hold me accountable and watch how quickly you can stop actually doing what you're not supposed to do and how quickly your life can change. Because what's going to happen is you're going to realize I don't need it. One of, the, one of the benefits of fasting, the longer you fast, the more you realize this. One of the benefits of fasting is realize, you, you help, it helps you realize you don't need what you think you don't need. I know people have asked, well, what does not eating food have to be with spiritual? Well, if you stop eating, you will find out. Not only do you have to stop eating. I mean, everyone's going to fast in a different way. But whenever I go on a long fast, I like to go certain days with just drinking water. It is awesome. You realize all the stuff you don't need. 
And then when you start eating, you start getting dependent and you have to, have to monitor, okay, what do I not get dependent back on that I really don't need? My challenge to you is think, what is it that I need to pray, Lord, I want to walk away from that? Three things. Look at your notes. Every week we're going to talk about asking the Father for his heart. And ask is A-S-K. A is assess your heart toward the very thing you're doing. Some of you think you need it. Some of you are dependent on it. And some of you think, well, I'm just going to sin anyway, so I might as well just keep doing it. What is your attitude towards this very thing that you know God doesn't like? And then search the scriptures for what God's heart is about it. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, which you're going to read. And by the way, it's the memory verse for February. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Everybody say, be ye holy. For I am holy. You got it. What does that mean? Holy doesn't mean I have to be perfect today. Holy means I am going to set myself apart from something. When a man and woman get married, they take vows. I, I, you know, I vow to be your husband for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and hell. And then it says the death do us part. And it says forsaking all others. That means holy. In other words, all the honeys, I'm separating myself from all the honeys, all the fellas. I am separating my, we're separating ourselves from all those people onto each other. That is exactly what this means. When you give your life to Christ, Lord, I am separating myself from all my dependencies. That doesn't mean you don't have friends, doesn't mean you don't eat food, doesn't mean you don't have a job. But I am dependent on none of that for my purpose and identity. I'm separating myself onto you. That's what holy means. And so when God said to these priests, you guys are going to be my example. So if you're dependent on something that you're doing that is breaking God's heart and you know it, there's some sort of dependency or addiction or whatever it is. And then God says, I want you to be holy. First you assess your heart. Then you ask God, what's his heart? God's heart is that you be holy. And then the last part, which is, which is what we're going to talk about, is you knit those two things together. God, give me your heart. Say, God, give me your heart. Oh, three things in, in, in that part. Number one, pray that Father, give me a heart that identifies itself as a priest set apart to honor and worship you. You and I, the Bible says, are a royal priesthood. Everyone say, I am a priesthood. I'm a priest. Say, I'm a priest. Say, I'm a priest. Everyone say, I am a priest. And what that means is that you're not, you have a white collar and a, and a thing. It means that you are... You are a priest, means bridge builder. Christ is in you, you are in the world, you are here having a relationship with God and you are revealing God to other people. You're a bridge builder. You represent Christ. Lord, set me aside, take me out of my element. I have friends, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm in the world, I'm not dependent on the world. I go to school, I go to job, I, go, I, 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 I play softball with a bunch of people that maybe don't go to church. It don't matter. I'm there and I'm there to love them on your behalf, but don't make me dependent on them. Set me aside. Everyone say, God, set me aside. You have to ask God to separate you from that one thing. If you prayed every day, Lord, I don't want to do things that bother you. I don't want to do it. I don't want to excuse it. 
Number two, Jesus created me a heart that is sensitive to biblical substitutes. Lord, I don't want to worship you my way. If on Sunday morning you say and you pray this prayer before you come to church, Lord, I want to worship you in a way that honors you. Guess what he's going to tell you? Be on time. Because if you're going to church, you're not going to worship God in church while you're driving in to church. So what does that mean? You got to get up a few minutes early. It's a, it's a, think about it. Some people are always 10 minutes late. It's like, it's like that's, that's their routine. Be 10 minutes late. Right? And sometimes it, you may say, well, I don't mean to. The devil always tricks you to be in 10 minutes late. But you are smart enough to out-trick the devil because the greatest he who's in you than he, in the world say, I am going to be on time. Everyone say, I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be waiting for worship to start. And not only am I going to be wait, I'm not going to be waiting with attitude. I'm going to be waiting with expectation that I can honor the king of kings. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a decision. That's not a revelation from heaven. Uh, it's, you, it's been revealed to you. Now it's a decision. You just have to do it. So what does that mean? Oh, stuff always happens. So get up 10 minutes early. Well, stuff always happens before stuff always happens. So get up 20 minutes early. <laughs> it's not rocket science. It's a decision. I'm going to read the Bible with expectation God's going to speak to me. In my D group, I say, listen, fellas, every week when you come, I want you to tell me one thing God told you when you read the Bible. Well, God didn't say anything. Well, why are you reading it? You got it. He's going to speak to you. Look for it. Look for it. Because if he's not speaking to you, what are you reading for? He is going to speak to you. So read with expectation. Pray with expectation that something's going to happen. I'm not going to pray to you. I'm not going to pray with, on my version of prayer with just saying it. I, I, I'm going to pray with expectation. And number three, Holy Spirit, develop a heart in me that leads others towards you, not away from you. Here's the thing about these guys that went in and took strange fire. They walked in front of everybody and said, hey, we, we, don't, we don't need to listen to God. We're going to do our thing because we were anointed. We're the first ones to be priests. We're going to take our own fire and our own incense. We won't get the incense that, that y'all used to, well, I shouldn't say y'all. We used to use when we put the towel by the bottom of the door and smoke weed in the room and have a little stick thing. We're going to get that incense from, from the store. That's what they said. And we, we don't need that other incense that God made. This is already made up for us. And we're going to take our own fire and we're going to go in there on our own. And God said, oh, no. Because everybody else is going, well, they can do it. I can do it. You're an example. People are watching you. People are watching you worship. They're listening to you gossip. They're watching you react. Uh-oh. I don't want to leave one of these little ones. I want you to take a communion cup out. Take a communion, please. I want you to imagine you're getting ready to walk in God's presence. And you want to be right. Ladies, you know when you're, you're, you're right before you go out to a party and you get all dolled up. You look in the mirror eight million times. Us guys, we look in the mirror twice. But you want to make sure everything's right. I mean, I, I see girls that there'd be like one little hair. Right? I, I ain't hating on you. Great. God says, I want you to do that when you come in my presence. Get yourself right. 
I want to prepare you to leave church today. Leaving here set aside for God. If someone's hands up, they need a communion cup. If you need a communion cup, any campus, just raise your hand. That you would say, Lord, I, I am going to separate myself from this one thing. Just, just one today. And pay attention to if you do it. You have people in your D group, people in your life, ask them to hold you accountable. I, I don't want to do this one thing. And soon you're going to realize, wow, freedom. And that wasn't that hard. I promise you the devil always enslaves us with things that are a lot easier to get away from than we think. But you have to be intentional about it. And so in a minute we're going to pray. In a minute we're going to take communion, but we're going to pray before that. And we're going to pray a prayer of holiness. And what I mean by that is you're going to say, Lord, for some of you who were never saved, never asked Christ to be your Savior, we want to give you an opportunity to ask Christ to be your Savior. And then there's some of you in here need to say, Lord, I, I just want to separate myself from this stuff. You know what I'm talking about. You and God have your secret. It's fine. It's between you and God. Lord, I, I, I want to I I be separated from this because I'm, I'm part of your royal priesthood. First Peter tells me I'm part of a royal priesthood. I belong to you for a purpose. And I don't want to make my own version of Christianity. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes and just pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of separation, to be set apart. In the privacy of your heart, pray, dear God, Jesus, I know you died for me, that I may be forgiven and separated from the world dependent on you. So I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to separate me from those things I'm dependent on. Those habits I have that break your heart. Give me a heart that is disturbed and grieved by those things. Take away my appetite for those things. That I may walk with you instead. I surrender my life to you. If you prayed that prayer in all the campuses, just slip your hand up really high so I can see you and pray for you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Real high, real high, elbow above the ear so I can see many, 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 great, 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 great. Lord, thank you so much for those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Just open up that cup, I mean, oh, the bread on top. At the last supper, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, take, eat. And what he was telling his disciples was, I am getting ready to die. I am going to be killed, physically beat, and then you have to take the message. So are we all together on this is what he was saying. When we take communion, what we're saying is, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. So that one thing you just prayed for, let's take this and seal it. I'm in. I, I, I want to be holy. I'm going to trust that walking with you is better than walking with that. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness.
In Jesus' name, amen. As you read Leviticus, you are going to read about a lot of animals being killed. And you're going to be like, what is the deal? Remember, the Old Testament sets up the New Testament. And one of the things that they got drilled in their head was unless there was bloodshed, there's no forgiveness of sin. When you walked into the tabernacle, the first thing you saw was this big altar dripping with blood. You cannot get into the tent where the presence of God was unless you walk by blood. Jesus shed his blood for us. Therefore, you don't need to do that anymore. Old Testament sets up the New Testament. When we take this, we are acknowledging that Jesus' blood did it all. We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. And we are forgiven once and for all. Can I get an amen? amen? Lord, we thank you that this is the blood of the new covenant. The Old Testament, another word is old covenant. Jesus' blood of the new covenant. Not an animal blood shed on the altar, but the lamb, the holy lamb of God, Jesus, shed on the cross. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes on all campuses, Lord, there are a lot of people who said they want to be holy. People who gave their life to you, people who are committing themselves to you all over again. If, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand if you are one of those people who raised your hand. If you want the person to come that you came with to come with you and to stand with you, just tap them on the shoulder. But many of you raise your hand and you say, Lord, I want to be holy. I want to be set apart. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand in all the campuses. This is probably the most important step you could take in being holy is to actually stand and say, yes, I'm walking away from even my fear or my, what I think people are going to think or me worrying about what people are going to think. So if you prayed that prayer and you raised your hand, that you prayed that prayer to be holy, to ask Christ to be your Savior for whatever reason you prayed a few minutes ago, I'm going to ask you to stand on the count of three. One, two, three. Stand to your feet. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.